at a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is Invest Talk, independent thinking, shared success. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Wednesday, November 2nd, 2022 edition. And in the West here, fall is in the air. Nights are becoming longer and cooler, and uh, the temperatures in the market remain the same. Uh, you continue to see volatility, uh, and especially on days like today, which was Fed Day. You had a rally on the initial statement, and then the press conference brought more downside vol. Excuse me, downside volatility. Uh, and the market really kind of got a mixed message from how Jerome Powell was speaking to uh, the Fed statement. Uh, you know, that's something that the market, I think, is still confused on is what is the true path of policy. And frankly, I don't think the Fed knows. You know, they're getting it from both sides. They're talking out of both sides of their mouth. They're getting pressure politically to slow down. Not just here, but abroad because of the strong dollar and the rest of the world dealing with uh, the ramification of higher rates. And then you get economic data that remains decent. Inflation data that, while cooling, still remains elevated. But remember, that data that they're looking at is lagged. And I think they know that to a degree. But the big question will be is, how lagged is it? You know, if they pause today, what will the economy look like? three, six months from now, as the effects of of monetary policy tightening feed through to economy, to the economy. And we've seen that a little bit already, but not nearly to the level that it will be felt in a few months. For example, the average interest rate on a used car loan now is over 10%. Now that has impact today, but it will have continuing impact as the months go on. Not only on used car prices, but also the pocketbooks of those that go out and buy a used car. That means their monthly payments are up and that feeds into broader consumption. So that's what you saw today uh, in the markets is confusion. Where are they stopping? Are they stopping? Are they pausing? Are they pivoting? I really don't think the market had an answer. 
And on days like today, uh, I think you're going to see some more volatility through the end of the week as the market Mark tries to figure out what did they really mean? And then the broader question for you is, what does this mean for your portfolio? Is it optimized for an environment where even the Fed doesn't know where policy is going? So what you have to do is lean back. Lean back on the tried and true methods of success, which is down to earth decision making, not pie in the sky, hopes and dreams of making it rich overnight. It's about creating and implementing a policy that is consistent and that works, that is based on reality of the economy, of industries, of companies. Not based on the way you hope it would be. The way you wish the world would be. Uh-uh. Too many people invest that way. They let their politics filter into their decision-making process. Whether they lean left or they lean right. That colors the type of companies they invest in. Whether they're religious or nihilistic. All of these factors create biases. And it's your job to know those biases, recognize those biases. And fight them. And fight them with facts, not stories. Fight them with rationale, not emotions. So I'm Justin Klein. That's what I'm here to help you do today on this radio show and podcast is help you make the most of your capital by making good, sound investment and money decisions. So I look forward to this hour on this Invest Talk podcast, hearing your finance and investment questions. And the phone number, as always, is 888 chart And I've got a lot of material to discuss with you today. One is value versus growth stocks. What does that mean? And what about value plus growth or growth plus value, however you want to say it? What does that mean? So we're going to look at that topic. Also, private REITs, private REITs. And oh, there's a, a recent story about just private investments in general from a client that's trying to get out of one. And guess what? They can't. No liquidity. It's been gated. So I want to touch on that part of the market. Also, the real estate market. What housing markets are staying relatively strong and which ones are the weakest? And then lastly, if we have time, the treasury market. We're going to touch on what's happening there and where the risks lie and what the uh, Fed is ultimately going to uh, be watching for. All right. Now, time permitting, I'll dig into our voice bank questions as well. One is on entry point recommendations as well as Prim Aros Services, P-R-I-M. And we've got an iTunes review question as well on ASML Holdings. So I've got this all planned for this episode of Invest Talk, and we'll take your live calls as well at 888-99-CHART. 
Now, a uh, quick look at the market today. Quick look. The S&P was down 96 points. Uh, like I said, big reversal. I kind of covered this uh, at the top of the show. But it was uh, a weekday after a strong few weeks. Not a shock here to see uh, choppiness. And that's kind of what I expect. As you get more economic data, that's going to give some more clarity. If the Fed's not going to give real clarity on what December will mean for policy and a February, then the market is going to have to look for economic data for hints. So uh, that's why I do expect uh, some choppiness uh, here in the near term, which shouldn't shock you after an overbought uh, situation or an oversold situation early August, early October turned into an overbought situation by the end of October. So very interesting uh, month that we just completed and we are embarking on a new one. And we're also heading into a break. I welcome your finance and investment questions now. No question is too simple or too complex. You set the agenda. So give us a call at 888-99-CHART. Why do listener questions make Invest Talk better? Which of these would you recommend? Because each caller presents fresh questions in their voice. I was curious if you still think aluminum has a ways to go from here. When do I know the right time to take profits? Should I be looking for an exit? Should I be holding here? And listeners instinctively realize that Invest Talk uniquely offers a welcome dose of investing satisfaction. I think you have a terrific show, and I've learned a whole lot. Hey guys, love your show. Uh, I've been listening for several years now, and I've learned a lot. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley understand what investors need and want. I would look at it from a tax perspective. If there's no tax implications, move on, find better ways to use that money. I'm going with the odds. I think a half position now would at least get you in it and get you watching it so you won't lose track of it. Don't forget to call Investor. 888-99-CHART. One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99Chart. Hi, this is Van from Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. I was wondering what you think of. Vanguard Long-Term Corporate Bond Fund. I don't have the symbol, but it's Vanguard Long-Term Corporate Bond Fund. It yields 6.1%. It seems like a good time to be getting it. Thanks a lot. Love your show. Bye. All right. Looking at the Vanguard Long-Term Corporate Bond ETF. VCLT is the symbol. Uh, it does have that nice 6-plus per percent yield. The problem is... It's down 30% this year. So 6% is nice, but uh, now I don't see a repeat of 30% down uh, over uh, the next year. But, you know, over the next decade or so, we've talked about an inflationary environment. And in that environment, you don't want long duration assets. Talk about that. You need to understand what that means. What does a long duration asset mean? Those are. Growth stocks are long-duration assets. Bonds that have long maturities are also long-duration assets. Real estate is a long-duration asset. And the reason that 
you don't want that is because rates are going to be going up. And so that's called, you know, so you don't want duration risk. And the effective duration on this fund is 23 years. So it's very long term. Now, it does have majority of it in triple B. So taking a little bit of credit risk there, but not, you know, a ton. Uh, and so you're attracted to that 6% yield, but you're going to probably do better in something that's more short and intermediate term. So I like that you're looking at corporate bonds. That's an attractive place to be, but you don't want to take that much duration risk. And you want to be staying in the five to 10 year range, 10s max, max that you want to be taking in this environment. Probably closer to five, maybe even closer to three, depending on, you know, your time horizon. So some good about this, some bad, but mainly don't be taking this, this much duration risk. Now, when people take the time to leave Invest Talk podcast review on iTunes, I'd like to thank them for the courtesy by getting to their question quickly. J. Melboss says, I bought ASML about seven trading days ago after a caller question on the show. Steve gave it a thumbs up. I've already seen a 20% gain in my position. I'm curious if this is a company to be comfortable with for years to come, or should I begin to trim this position? Now, ASML, uh, I think Steve and I moderately disagree uh, on this. I think, you know, near term, it is relatively cheap uh, if you're looking backwards, though. Uh, but going forward, I think there's definitely a lot of medium term risk. And that is the downside of the chip cycle. Analysts uh, are expecting a 16% drop in earnings this year. You saw that with the latest earnings report, revenues down 7%, earnings down 15%. And this all, I think, has to do with overcapacity. We've overbuilt capacity over the last couple of years because we overproduced and overconsumed physical goods, especially electronic goods, that we used sitting at home uh, during the pandemic. But that is now shifting. Talked about that many times. And so building out new, new capacity is not something the chip industry is probably going to look for in a dramatic sense, near term. However, you do have what I think is one of the most consequential economic shifts we've had in this country in a long time, which is the CHIPS Act uh, and the, the government basically willing any potential IP transfer of high quality chips uh, away from China, uh, which means that China is not going to be able to buy ASML's products to build out their chip capacity. Now, that doesn't mean that's not gonna happen here in the US, but I still think we're a few years away from that cycle beginning. And so medium term, I'm not a big fan of this. I think it's still too much pressure to the downside in its business and not enough tailwinds. Uh, and those tailwinds aren't gonna show up for a few years. So certainly keep it on your watch list. I would be selling it. I would keep it on my watch list and wait for that cycle of really true big expenditures here in the US on new chip capacity to take hold. And I don't see that quite yet. Now we're heading to a break. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. 
InvestTalk is here to help. And when you download the free InvestTalk podcasts, don't forget to rate and review. The phone lines are open, 888-99-CHART. Let's go to Alberto in San Jose looking at VOO or DIA. Yeah, hi, Justin. Um, I want I wanted to get your opinion. Which one is a better option right now? I have maxed my 401k. I have some money put away in IR, on Roth IRA as well out of my paycheck. So I have a little bit left over on a biweekly basis. So which would you recommend? Well, this is difficult because I don't love either of them. But if I'm picking one or the other uh, for the next five, 10 years, I'm probably going to go with the DIA. Why? Because it leans on the value side of the market, whereas the VOO, which is the S&P, that one yields, uh, uh, leans on the growth side of the market. Uh, so I just like the the names in, in, in the Dow overall. Both are not the greatest places to be, to be honest with you. I'd rather go something that's more small cap value. These are all both large cap. They just, one leans uh, a little left to the value side, one leans a little right to the growth side, um, uh, but uh, neither get me juiced up. So, uh, but if you're gun to my head, picking one or the other, it'd be DIA. Yeah, I also I was thinking about IWM, which is a Russell 2000. Would you think that's a better option? Yeah, that's going to be a better option. Those are small caps. Uh, that's that's small cap, and. Uh, the, the spread between large and small cap valuations is near record highs. And uh, now it's a little bit off of record highs because uh, small caps are just starting to outperform the large caps. Um, but if I'm picking uh, those three, 10 times out of 10, I'm picking IWM. Better long-term performance. It does lean a little bit more on the value side, which is positive. Um, and just a much better mix of, of sectors. You know, not a whole lot of technology, about half of what you're seeing in the S&P, 14.5% uh, in industrials, which I really like. Still not enough energy, about 7%, but still much better than the S&P. Uh, and so the mix there is just much, much better. So IWM would be a clear winner over those other two. Thanks for the call. Now, my focus point concerns the story behind this question, value versus growth stocks and which one could be right for you. So uh, we talk about this all the time. I think people often get confused about value investing versus growth investing. Uh, and uh, the ideal portfolio, however, would include a blend of value and growth, meaning companies that are growing, uh, but are at reasonable values, okay? Now, the big question is, how does growth and value differ? How do you recognize what is a growth stock? What is a value stock? Now, growth, growth stocks tend to be companies that have one-of-a-kind one kind products or dis, uh, disruptive technologies, and they demonstrate rates of growth that are above the market averages. But they also tend to be volatile. Why? Because in rapidly evolving sectors and industries, there's often multiple players vying for that future leadership within the space. And so you're dealing with a lot of qualitative factors that need to be analyzed. When I say qualitative, I mean, I mean things you can't necessarily put a number on. 
right? What is, how good is the, their IP, their technology? Is it better than the competitors? How much better? Will it stay better than, than the competitors? What about leadership? Think of Mark Zuckerberg was leading Google or not Google, uh, Facebook in the right direction. Then they turned, changed name to meta and now stocks tanked because it's leading the company down. He's leading the company down a, a bad path, at least what the market believes. If you paid attention to the quantitative factors of Facebook, you'd gotten crushed. So that's, that's the growth side of the market. Now the value side, they tend to be more steady companies tend to do have positive earnings, positive cash flow in all market conditions. And they tend to go up gradually over time. They also typically pay a dividend whereas growth stocks, you know, they're the fast and the furious and they can go from market darlings to the patsies of the market in a short order. Now, growth stocks, they typically trade at premiums because they are growing their revenue faster compared to others within the industry, compared to the market versus the whole, uh, as a whole. But once again, when growth falters for whatever reason, those multiples contract rapidly. Value stocks, they tend to be more stable, generate small, steady gains in revenue or profits over time. So the big question is, what's what's better? Now the popular indexes is kind of a blend between growth and value. I talked about that in this last call, uh, especially the S&P leans on the growth side. It's gonna lean wherever the sector has done well over the you know extended period of time because it's market cap weighted uh, and growth stocks have done well over the last decade and that's why the index leans that way. But as Warren Buffett said, growth is an important aspect to valuating a company. And so what you really want are companies that are going to continue to grow. They aren't value traps. I mean, they look cheap and they're just frankly just going to continue to get cheaper. You want companies that look cheap and are cheap because they will continue to grow over time. Now we're heading to a break. So give me a call at 888-99-CHART. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. 
AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. Do you have questions about FDIC security, mortgages, money market funds, losses to your retirement plans? Give us a call today, 888-99-CHART. The markets react to uncertainty. Are you prepared? Is your portfolio balanced? Is it optimized? Your financial future depends on the answers to those questions. Justin Klein is here now and ready to talk with you. Call Invest Talk, 888 99Chart. On the next Invest Talk, this story setting proper asset allocation for retirement. Now, keep in mind that closing in on retirement, one size fits all recommendations are typically not the way to go. Everyone's life is different, and their retirement goals uh, and lifestyle goals are varied. And so we're going to get to that story tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your calls live at 888-99-CHART. Now let's touch a bit on the top housing markets. Now, this is the latest Wall Street Journal, Realtor.com Emerging Housing Market Index. And there's a few interesting changes from last year. And the top city ended up being Johnson City, Tennessee. Johnson City, Tennessee. Now, while existing home sales dropped for the eighth straight month in September, and homes are sitting on the market for longer, more sellers are cutting their prices, certain cities are able to buck that trend. Johnson City itself is only about 205,000 people. Uh, so they were top of the list. Visalia, California, which is uh, it's pretty interesting. It's right smack dab in the middle of California, not near the coast, not near the border of, uh, of Nevada, but right in the middle. So that was, uh, was pretty interesting. That was number two. Then you had Elkhart, Indiana. You had Northport, Florida, Fort Wayne, Indiana, Lafayette, Indiana, Columbia, South Carolina, Columbia, Missouri, Raleigh, North Carolina, and Yuma, Arizona. Those were the top 10 on the list. And 
this doesn't mean that they're not seeing some sort of a, an impact of higher mortgage rates and a slowdown in the market, but they these areas are typically positioned much better. And this index ranks 300 of the biggest metro areas in the United States. And it incorporates things like economic and lifestyle data, real estate taxes, unemployment, wages, commute times, and small business loans. And most of the top ranked markets for the third quarter had fast home sales and lower unemployment rates than the broader economy. Now, places like Johnson City are seeing continued trends with work from home. So buyers that are coming from places like Oregon, California, New York, and other states where home prices are pretty elevated still. And they're looking for lower taxes and they want outdoors. So there's a lot of hiking in nearby mountains there. And so all those things are relatively attractive. And so they're selling for profits and big profits and big cashing out big uh, equity in those more expensive states and coming where it's much more affordable. Now, what's interesting is Johnson City and some local organizations started a program during the pandemic offering $2,500 or more to full-time remote workers who relocated to that city. And about 283 people have applied and 40 of them have been accepted so far. Now, five of the top 20, mar uh, 20, in the, uh, 20 markets in the third quarter, we're in Florida, Northport, like I said, number four, Tampa, number 11, Cape Coral, number 12, Naples, 16, and Orlando, number 18. A lot of that, just lower taxes. And there were still some Western markets uh, that were strong, but a lot that fell uh, off the initial ranking. Last year was the first year they did this, uh, Wall Street Journal. And you had places like Boulder, Colorado, Santa Cruz, California, Vallejo, California, and Eureka, California, as well as Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, all that were pretty high in the list last year, dropped pretty dramatically in the most re recent rankings. So pretty interesting uh, list over there. Now, what were the 10 worst markets in the country? Well, New York, New York City, New York, New Newark, and Jersey City, that metro area. Um, Jackson, Michigan, Utica, New York, Shreveport, Louisiana, Odessa, Texas, Kingston, New York, Champaign, Illinois, Albany, New York, Ottawa, Illinois, as well as Pittsfield, Massachusetts. Those were the 10 lowest on this rankings and have uh, struggled the most in the third quarter with their housing markets. Now let's pivot back to the Best Talk Voice Bank for a question that came in earlier at 888-99-CHART. Hi, my name is TJ. I had a question for Justin uh, regarding Primora Services Corporation, symbol P-R-I-M. They're in the engineering, utility, and energy space for renewables. It's kind of interested in this stock has a steady ROE and margins with a slow growth rate in sales, but it looks like it's starting to find a bottom here. And I do like that the sector that it's in, however, I'm concerned about current debt load that they do carry. Just got a pop recently regarding a announcement of uh, some new projects. Just wonder if I'm looking at this correctly and if this is something that I should be interested in. Thanks. Bye-bye. All right, this is Primoris Services, P-R-I-M, and the chart is gaining some strength recently, but it's still in a longer-term downtrend. This is the name we have actually owned for clients in the past, but not for a while. Uh, so we, we like the overall profitability trends here, um, long-term, like you said, but it does have a little bit elevated 
uh, debt, which continues to go up, which is a little bit worrisome. And earnings have been pretty flat. It's supposed to be down 5% this year, and it made it $2.51 last year. It's supposed to make two thirty eight this year. Uh, so, you know, it's okay. Uh, but, you know, for us, I remember looking at this and saying, you know, there's just better opportunities. So, good company but i just don't like the inconsistency we didn't like the inconsistency of their their earnings and 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 their business so uh, i i would probably go back to the drawing board and find something uh, a bit more attractive you know you got to be really picky with your capital and just an okay opportunity especially in this market not good enough all right so let's make it two in a row at 888.99 chart Hey, Stephen Justin, this is Daniel in Tennessee. Really enjoy your podcast. And I had a general question for you. When you give a recommendation on your show for a buy-in, like an entry point to buy a stock, I was curious if we already own the stock, if that means that we need to sell it if, if the entry point doesn't align with what it is today. So for example, you mentioned Broadcom and it's at, when I look today, it's at 470. You mentioned a good entry point would be 3.30 a few days ago. If I already own it, should I go ahead and be looking to sell it or should I just hold on to it since I already own it? Just kind of curious for your perspective there. Thank you. I mean, that's completely up to you. I mean, that when I give you a number, I, I'm usually giving you a number that is aligning multiple factors. One would be valuation. Okay, well, it would be attractive from a valuation standpoint at that point. Uh, as well as the technical uh, backdrop. And if I'm giving you that number, I actually think it's a pretty good chance it's going to get there. I'm not going to give you a number that's a pie in the sky to the downside. You know, I'm not going to say, oh, buy Apple at 20. That's a no-brainer. It's, 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 but it, odds of it ever getting there are, are pretty low, right? So you know, I'm giving a number that I see multiple factors lining up that that would be a screaming buy there. Uh, doesn't mean that it has to get there. Just because I give you that number, you know, what happens if they have some sort of amazing breakthrough in technology that opens themselves up to a new market and, and a ton of new revenue and ton of new earnings and, you know, stock takes off? Certainly possible. But I'm looking at the data today and what the earnings trends are longer term, the strength of the business, the industry that it's in the short and medium term trends and coming up with a reasonable place to add it. Doesn't mean it's gonna get there. Like I said, may never get there again. So you selling it, it's up to you. And also, once again, and this is this is this goes back to kind of the bigger picture. Get this question all the time. Should I sell this stock? Well, that depends on what you're going to do with the money. That depends on your exposure to that sector. I'd really love to know if you own this stock and what that what the weighting of this sector is within your broader portfolio. What other assets do you have in your portfolio? Do you have bonds, commodities, cash? What do you can do with that money? What's your longer term goal? Are you trying to get income? What if it's a consistent, strong dividend payer that's likely to grow its dividend and your main focus is the dividend? 
that goes up and down 10, 20% in, you know, a year. If your focus is on income, it should be about the steadiness and growth of that income. So it's always difficult for me to give a very myopic view of your particular position because I don't know the whole picture. That's why on this show, we can't come up and say, oh, you should buy or sell uh, this security without you asking a bit about it. That's just SEC rules. So if you want to do a broader portfolio review, I'd be happy to do that. And we can talk about Broadcom as a whole and whether that's something to trim or eliminate right now and keep on your watch list. And based on where it is right now, that's probably the recommendation, but it depends on a lot of factors. Now the seasons are changing and winter is coming up fast. We're nearly halfway through the fall. And the big question is, are you able to handle the heat and the cold, right? The market's cold right now. And so are you able to identify opportunities and avoid the pitfalls in this market there are a lot of both there are a lot of companies that were earning a bunch of money the retail sector is a good example talked about people over consuming physical goods that means people were buying things from retailers those retailers were making a pretty penny now it's mean reverting that is a pitfall that you have to avoid, which ones are the most exposed to that trend and which ones are unlikely to return to good profitability, which ones have overshot to the downside. And there are actually opportunities right now. Some There are some of those within the retail space as well. So if you need help, Unpacking where your opportunities are, where your pitfalls are lying within your portfolio. I encourage you to reach out to myself or Steve Peasley at our company, KP Financial, where we practice parallel investing. And we provide unbiased guidance both on and off air. So you can take advantage of our free portfolio view assessment via telephone or go to meeting. Just send us a message through investtalk.com or call our office at 800 557 5461. We'd love to help you in any way. And the sooner you contact us, the sooner we can help get your portfolio optimized. Now, speaking of that, let's touch a bit on REITs on REITs. Now, so far, the MSCI US REIT index is down about 26% this year, 26%. But if you go to the non traded REIT sector, some of those funds are up 10% this year. And there's going to be a lot of people that say, well, look, it's bucking the trend, non-correlated. But is that true? If non-traded REITs and public REITs are both buying commercial properties, warehouses, apartments, office buildings, etc., does it make sense that they diverge so greatly in price? Well, the answer is really no. 
Now, non-traded REITs are valued by their sponsors monthly. Now, they use independent appraisers, but the market uses the real appraisers, which is investors. And so, well, some of the funds are up 10% this year, including dividends. Investors in these funds are concerned that declining property values, weakness in recent weakness in rents, rising interest rates are going to make the actual underlying value of those properties much lower. Values of apartment buildings have declined 14% over the last 12 months, but and this is according to real estate analytics firm Green Street. Industrial property values are down 9% because of softening demand in e-commerce. And we know the weakness that's happening in office nationwide, especially in the, the big areas, the, the you know New York's, San Francisco's, LA's of the world. And institutional investors are selling their stakes in these private REITs at 10% discounts in the secondary market. And so if they're willing to take a 10% discount, what does that say? Well, it says that, well, they may show on your statement that the prices have held up. The reality is anything but. And this hits hard at private investments, not just private REITs, but private funds of all types, from hedge funds to private equity, etc. And this is the time that you need to be very, very skeptical and you need to be trying to get out. We have a client that has some money in a private, private uh, it's not a private REIT, but it's a private fund, and they got gated. They can't sell their position. And this is a huge red flag, gigantic. And so all of you need to be very, very careful. And if you own any of them, think hard and fast about getting out when, while you still can. Well, this is Invest Talk. We're heading into our final break. So give me a call at 888-99-CHART. You are listening to Invest Talk. Every Friday on the program and the podcast, Steve Peasley shares highlights from the newest edition of the KPP Premium Newsletter. Listen Fridays to Invest Talk. And now, Steve and Justin welcome your calls and questions. 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve and Justin, Art from Tucson. I'm looking at a couple fixed income bond funds and would like your opinion on them. Um, and which one you would prefer to buy between the two. The first is Dodge and Cox Income Fund, D-O-D-I-X. And the second is PIMCO Enhanced Low Duration Active Exchange Traded Fund. That is L-D-U-R. Would uh, love to hear your opinion on these. And I'll listen on the podcast. Thank you. All right, looking at Dodge and Cox income, this is an intermediate term bond fund, and it's modified duration is about 5.5 years, and it's mainly focused in corporates as well as securitized. So 
a lot of Fannie and Freddie uh, bonds as well as a few treasuries mixed in there. Not a great yield, a uh, little less than 3%. The other is LDUR, which is the PIMCO Enhanced Low Duration Active ETF. And this is much shorter term and modified duration only 1.37 years. And average credit quality is still an, an A+, plus, which, is, uh, which is pretty nice, similar to Dodner Cox income. So similar in their credit risk, but very different in their duration risk, 5.5 years versus 1.3. In a rising interest rate environment, I'm taking the 1.3. So I'm gonna go with the PIMCO LDUR is the symbol for that ETF. Thanks for the call. Now this is Invest Talk, and let's see if we can fit in one more caller question. Hello, Invest Talk. This is Mike from Texas. Just had a question about Tyson Foods, ticker TSN. Curious on what you thought of the company overall and just kind of as a long-term hold. Look forward to hearing your answer on the podcast. Appreciate everything you guys do. All right, looking at Tyson Foods, one of the largest, actually the largest U.S. producer of processed chicken and beef. And it has brands such as Jimmy Dean, Hillshire Farms, Ballpark, Sara Lee, State Fair, Raised and Roast and Rooted, uh, to name just a few. So it's 81% of its products through U.S. channels, 47% retail, 32% food service, and then 10% in packaged foods. And then they do have some exposure to Canada, Mexico, Brazil, Europe, China, and Japan. That's only about, in total, 11% of their business. So very U.S.-focused, which uh, I kind of like. Now, Tyson, historically, has pretty consistently growing earnings, uh, although this year, and, and especially next year, earnings was to drop 16%. So you're going to see a slowdown. But that looks to be priced in. It's already down 33% off its 52-week high. And even if we're going uh, based on a modest slowdown in its earnings, it's still trading at a pretty attractive about four, four and a half times enterprise value to EBITDA. Historically, its average is closer to eight. So I think a lot of this uh, expected slowdown in earnings next year is priced into the market. So I'm going to give Tyson a thumbs up here. Uh, the valuation now after this drop looks very cheap and if i'm going on a let me look at a long-term chart here go to a weekly go to a monthly here yeah it's at the 100 month moving average historically it's been uh, good support uh, it has been consolidating there so that's a little bit of a worry but overall i like the picture here i think it's a, a thumbs up so i'm giving tyson foods a positive there's a quick question from itunes Gene Kuss says, I'd like to get your take on the symbol tech, T-E-C-K. I own a small position, but with the higher input costs than expected, do you feel like this is still a buy on the pullbacks? Revenues continue to grow. Also, if possible, I'd like, your touch, I'd like you to touch China and their zero COVID policy. I think this is a much bigger, larger story than the Fed's pivot. I think I agree with you, uh, especially in the commodity space. There's been a big pullback in demand for physical commodities due to China's zero COVID policy. So if they lift that, it's going to be a huge boost to commodity prices. Uh, now it comes to tech. We like tech. We own it for clients. Uh, we don't see this being an issue. We like the diversity of their uh, commodity production. And I think it's, a, it's still a buy here on tech resources. 
Now, I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening, and we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads. You can get yours anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Be sure to rate and review over on iTunes as well. And we've now surpassed the 46.6 million download mark thanks to you. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening, and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.